until the boat and you are asked come to a complete stop.
Yeah, well, this show ain't stopped yet. Sport Murphy here. Hey, with another Buckaroo Holiday. That was Stan Ridgeway from his terrific album, The Big Heat. Did I say terrific? I think I might have said terrific. I meant terrific. Or fantastic. The whole album is terrific. Especially that song, Can't Stop the Show. I used to have that on cassette. I used to walk to work from this dump I lived in to this dump I worked at, and I'd listen to that tape on the way there and the way home. On a Sony Walkman I stole from Sam Goody. It helped. I'll tell you what. It was that and a Public Image Limited record. I mean, tape. Music helps. One reason I love that song is it reminds me of Cosmo Vitelli, played by the great Ben Gazzara in one of my favorite films, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. In the film, Cosmo runs a strip club in L.A., and to him, it's no cheap clip joint. As seedy as the place is, it's his place of dreams, companionship, self-expression. It's where his soul takes refuge from a relentlessly hostile world and his own ruinous impulses. I welcome you to my own ruinous impulses. I mean, my own... (laughs) place of dreams and all that. Hope you enjoy your visit. Tip your bartenders. Here's a slab of weirdness from The Shepherds.
I used to like going to this rock club on Long Island here. It was called Tui's, which I think was a reference to two and all, which tells you something about those days. But I used to like to hang out in the DJ booth with the guy um, who worked there. His name was Ralph Cowings. He called himself the Schizoid Man. And he was a, kind of an odd duck. I liked him. He used to come to Sam Goody all the time, and I'd help him find records he was looking for. And the thing about him was, well, he was black, which was rare in a rock club, especially that one, because it was a bastion of southern rock, and it was always a lot of these kind of guys there with the, you know, the long hair and the, the Skinner T-shirts and, you know, a lot of those uh, Confederate flags. And, you know, I'm not one of those people offended by this shit, so don't take it that way. But that's the kind of place it was. So Ralph might have seemed a little out of place there, but I think Ralph would be a little out of place anywhere. He'd always give me a big announcement over the PA when I showed up. Very flattering. Here's to the schizoid man. And we'd talk about music and turn each other on to favorite things, you know. And what really baffled me was his favorite act was the Fifth Dimension, and I never understood that. I, I, at the time, I was thinking the Fifth Dimension was, uh, you know, this lame variety show act, uh, Vegas kind of act, you know, back at a time when I didn't realize how much I secretly loved that stuff. I was in a phase of being real hip, thought I was real hip. You know, it's a delusion, it's a, um, it's a popular delusion. Well, I mean, it's okay to be hip. You got to be hip to things, but you can't be cool. You know, it's it's that's just that's just nowheresville. Hey, look, you know, like if you bought this record to learn how to speak hip from a record man, that is the squarest thing I ever heard of. I mean, wow. But look, so like you bought it, you must need it. So that was a smart move. You know what I mean, or something? But what did I know? I was young. I was learning. What did I know? I'm... I wish I could go back and apologize to Ralph for giving him that look whenever he'd bring up the Fifth Dimension because I've come to love their work. Years later, actually, in Vegas, I bumped into Marilyn McCoo at a casino. God, was she beautiful. And unfortunately, she wasn't performing because there was a musician strike at the time. Otherwise, I would have seen the Fifth Dimension. And maybe I would have lifted a toast to Ralph Cowing. The schizoid man. Well, I do tonight. Oh, I also want to mention that there was a brief synthesizer, kind of an interlude there in between the fifth dimension and that weird doo-wop song with the shepherds. Tragic. Tragic, 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 tragic. That was a piece from an album called Messenger by an artist named Lawrence Kim. That's a new piece. Bought it on Bandcamp friend of mine recommended it and it's a great album it's it's a lot of uh this very clean old style synth stuff melodic really well worth listening to now Bandcamp, you know i've been buying stuff on there because um you know you like to support artists and i don't know lawrence kim personally it was a recommendation but a lot of my friends put their stuff on Bandcamp, and i normally i, I kind of made a decision not a hard and fast decision, but I didn't want to play Friends records on the show just because I know a lot of people who play music and then it becomes a thing like, why, don't, why didn't he play my thing, you know? And I, I don't know, it's just, it's just something I try to avoid. But it's stupid because I have a lot of friends who make really great music. And if this thing is good for anything, maybe it would be good for plugging some worthwhile work that you may not otherwise know. So I'm not going to hold to that 
self-imposed rule. I'm going to play you something now that uh, a friend of mine cut. And he's a friend of yours. He's a friend of the show's. Jim Allen. Got a great recent album called Where the Sunshine Bit You. Bit you. Bit you. I like bit you because it sounds nasty. Uh, um, here's a taste. It's a beautiful cut from a beautiful album. If you like it, go buy it.
Exclusive! That there was a home demo by She, also known as The Harem, H-A-I-R-E-M. This was a garage band from California. 
led by the Ross sisters, Sally and Nancy Ross. They had that band through the better part of the 60s and into the 70s. And that was an uncharacteristic kind of cut, much more mellow than what they usually do, which is pretty badass. It really had something. And a bit of chamber music before that by Ricardo Malapiero from 1959, Musica da Camera, which I guess just means chamber music. Anyway, that was an excerpt. And Jim Allen's Nightingale, again, uh, a little uncharacteristic. The, most of the album is a little more up-tempo than that, but I go for these evocative kind of atmospheric numbers, and that's a good one, but it's all good. It's a really terrific album, so thank you, Jim, for the Music! music.
Listening to is one of the many incredible automaton musical machines at uh, House on the Rock in the great state of Wisconsin. I got to tell you about that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about it now, but remind me. I'll tell you about House on the Rock. It's one of the greatest places in the country. They have all these old musical contraptions uh, with, with robotic figures and uh, self-playing violins and things like that. And maybe I'll put more of that stuff in here and there. Before that, of course, Sly and the Family Stone, the great, great Sly and the Family Stone, a band that had a brief moment of absolute perfection before they were destroyed by, well, a few factors. The main one being drugs and the other one being a... Um, an insistence by radicals of the time to uh, de-integrate the band. But when Sly was really together and the band was the band, there wasn't much else like it. I saw Sly one time, a place called the Red Parrot. It was kind of hilarious, kind of depressing, and kind of brilliant all at once, but mostly depressing and irritating. Drugs are bad. The first thing in that set was uh, an act called The Spoiler Project, about whom I know nothing. 
except that that track was on an album called the Radio Tokyo Tapes, which was a bunch of mainly Paisley Underground bands, like the Three O'Clock and the Rain Parade. Also had Minutemen and things on it. So it was a great album, and that track, I think, was the only thing the Spoiler Project ever recorded, to my knowledge. And it's kind of geeky and and and. You know, I, I I don't know. There's a charm to it that I can't quite explain. Um, I like the singer; she's really good, and I like the, the how proud they are of their wordplay. You know, take me for granted. I can't, I can't help it. And that determinedly herky jerky new wave thing. You know, it's usually I hate it. In that case, I, go figure. Maybe you like it. I don't know. Falling in love with If they say bad things, Alan, tell me. Yeah, pants too tight. Okay. I get breathy. Breathy. Wise men say. Okay, we're rolling. One, two, three. Wise men say only fools run. Okay. RO take 50. One. Over. Three. What? <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Look, these guys are not going to get it together, so uh, we'll hold off on that. Um, long time ago, we had a record. We used to listen to me and my pals. It was an album called An Open Letter to My Teenage Son by Victor Lundberg. And it was a conservative spoken word record for the 1960s. Became pretty popular. There's a lot of that kind of stuff in those days. The Dawn of Correction, and then later on, The Americans, which was this Canadian guy talking about how great America is. You know, I mean, it is great. And uh, I agree with a lot of stuff that Lundberg says on his album. As over the top as this track tends to get. And I hadn't heard until recently this parody record that uh, kind of tickled me. So I'm going to play them both right here. First, an open letter to my teenage son by Victor Lundberg. And then after that, the parody by Dick Clare called Hi Dad, an open letter to Dad. Clare was a comedian who uh, had a partner named Jenna McMahon, and they did this husband and wife act that did comedy on different shows. And then later on, he wrote a lot of sitcoms. Mary Tyler Moore Show and um, Bob Newhart. Right now, he is cryonically preserved. He died pretty young, 57, and um, he's frozen someplace, waiting for technology to catch up and find a cure and a method of revival. So I wish Dick Clare luck. Now, Victor Lundberg was a newscaster, and he cut this record because of his 
fervent beliefs in the tumult of the late 60s, and it spawned many parodies, including Dick Clare's. I like both records, tell you the truth. Dear son, you ask my reaction to long hair or beards on young people. Some great men have worn long hair and beards. George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. If to you long hair or a beard is a symbol of independence, if you believe in your heart that the principles of this country, our heritage, is worthy of this display of pride that all men shall remain free, that free men at all times will not inflict their personal limitations of achievement on others, to demand your own rights as well as the rights of others and be willing to fight for this right, you have my blessing. You ask that I not judge you merely as a teenager, to judge you on your own personal habits, abilities, and goals. This is a fair request, and I promise I will not judge any person only as a teenager. If you will constantly remind yourself that some of my generation judges people by their race, their belief, or the color of their skin, and that this is no more right than saying all teenagers are drunken dope addicts or glue sniffers. If you will judge every human being on his own individual potential, I will do the same. You ask me if God is dead. This is a question each individual must answer within himself. Could a warm summer day with all its brightness, all its sound, all its exhilarating breathiness just happen? God is love. Remember that God is a guide and not a stormtrooper. Realize that many of the past and present generation, because of a well-intentioned but unjustifiable misconception, have attempted to legislate morality. This created part of the basis for your generation's need to rebel against our society. With this knowledge, perhaps your children will never ask, Is God dead? I sometimes think much of mankind is attempting to work him to death. You ask my opinion of draft card burners. I would answer this way. All past wars have been dirty, unfair, immoral, bloody, and second-guessed. However, history has shown most of them necessary. If you doubt that our free enterprise system in the United States is worth protecting, if you doubt the principles upon which this country was founded, that we remain free, to choose our religion, our individual endeavors, our method of government. If you doubt that each free individual in this great country should reap awards commensurate only with his own efforts, then it's doubtful you belong here. If you doubt that people to govern us should be selected by their desire to allow us to strive for any goal we feel capable of attaining, then it's doubtful you should participate in their selection. If you are not grateful to a country that gave your father the opportunity to work for his family to give you the things you've had, and you do not feel pride enough to fight for your right to continue in this manner, then I assume the blame for your failure to recognize the true value of our birthright. Now, I would remind you that your mother will love you no matter what you do, because she is a woman. And I love you too, son. But I also love our country and the principles for which we stand. And 
If you decide to burn your draft card, then burn your birth certificate at the same time. From that moment on, I have no son. Soft Laverne. <clears throat> Hi, Dan. I've only got a minute. I couldn't afford a group of musicians, but a friend of mine came along with me to play the piano, so I just thought I'd dash this off. Gee, it's nice to hear from you. It's been years. Uh, I'm kind of surprised you didn't send your letter through the mail instead of making a record, but then you always were a character, uh, and uh, we've never been too close. Uh, it was never easy for us to just sit down and have a man-to-man -man talk. Hey, it's lucky I caught it. I never listened to the radio, but I was driving on the freeway, and I just it just happened to come on. Uh, and of course, I knew it was you right away. Who can mistake your voice? It's kind of expensive, these recording sessions, but I guess you'll profit by it in the long run. You always had a sharp eye for business. Uh, now, let's see. Uh, the weather's good. Uh, that cold snap is finally over. Uh, not much new. A little softer, Laverne. Uh, Dad, I only heard the record once. I'm not sure I got it all straight. Uh, I had to take a turn off, uh, turn off the freeway right in the middle of it there. Uh, but I think you said that I could keep my hair long as long as I keep thinking thoughts like Washington and Lincoln, uh, that God is probably alive, and that if I burn my draft card, I'm not your son. He sounded a little testy there at the end. Uh, I think it's terrific you approve of long hair. Actually, I cut it, Dad. Uh, I got a crew cut just before I heard from you. Kind of sorry about it now. I hadn't thought of that Washington-Lincoln comparison. That's groovy, uh, but it'll grow back. I don't remember asking you if God was uh, alive. That must have been Joey. Sounds more like him. You know, he was always a theologian of the family. Uh, but I'm glad to see you've given it a lot of thought. I appreciated hearing your views on that. Uh, you mentioned how much you'd enjoyed a summer day. I'm glad to see you're getting out of the bank once in a while. Uh, you made a lot of. Uh, concessions, you know, to the younger generation in your letter, and I appreciate it, Dad. Uh, I thought you got a little dogmatic at the end, but don't worry, draft card burning isn't my kind of gesture. Uh, picketing the Pentagon is more my thing. Uh, hey, gosh, I had a million things to say, but they're giving me the old signal from the control booth, so I uh, guess I'll close. Oh, pardon the diction. I'm sure not a chip off the old block. Uh, hope to hear from you soon. I'll keep my radio on. So long, Dad. That's it, Laverne. That's it. Memories. I go for that kind of offbeat stuff. Radio ephemera, record ephemera, whatever you want to call it. Here's another example. Uh, I did an album called Willoughby, and there was a song on it called The Dilettante Ball. And I... Uh, as I just mentioned, on a phone call to a friend of mine, you know, my instincts for uh, career destruction, my own career destruction, were, were unerring. And in this case, I thought it would be a great idea with this song, The Dilettante Ball, to make uh, several comic references to uh, the record The Madison Time by the Ray Bryant Combo. I doubt anybody who, of all the, f of the few people who ever heard Willoughby, that any of them connected that to The Madison Time, because uh, highly unlikely that any person 
would happen to hear Willoughby and also know about Madison time. I always found it to be an appealing record. The dance, I guess, is one of these uh, group dances, like a square dance. And uh, the caller in a square dance tells you to do si do and all of that malarkey. Well, this guy, Ray Bryan, is telling you how to do these moves for this dance called the Madison. And apparently had a lot of modular little movements you would do, and everybody knew what they were. So when he called out, hey, let's do a big Jackie Gleason, everybody knew what to do. And uh, everyone in the room would execute these moves in unison. And that's what the record is. So uh, I, I found it kind of appealing in a... It's a it's a kind of cool swing the record itself, but it's also just so goofball, so off the beaten track. And I love the way he's always going crazy with an S. Just love it. So uh, he does that one, and then we have a parody of that of all things by Jackie Gale comic. Some of you might remember if you're old enough from variety show appearances, talk show appearances back in the old days, and it's. Uh, <laughs> So his parody is called The Sloppy Madison. <laughs> just, I, lo- I love that. As a, as a kind of a lame idea for a parody, you're just going to do the same thing, but you're just going to add an insult to it. You know? so, <laughs> so if I did a parody of the Lombada, you know, I call it the, the Stinky Lombada. <laughs> well, that's kind of what he did here, but it's actually very witty in the, in the course of the track. So here, dig these. Madison time, hit it. You're looking good, a big strong line. When I say hit it, I want you to go two up and two back with a big strong turn and back to the Madison. Hit top. Two up and two back, double cross, come out of it with the rifleman. Hit top. Crazy. Now when I say hit it, I want the big strong M, erase it and back to the mess. Go. 
they hit it, Birdland likes their stuff. Hit it. How about a little stiff leg there? You're looking good. Now when I say hit it, come out of the Birdland, back to the Madison. Hit it. Crazy. When I say hit it, go two up and two back, double cross and freeze. Hit it. It's time for the Sloppy Madison. Sloppy Madison time, kiddies. Let's form that big, loose, sloppy-looking line. Yes, this is the Sloppy Madison. Ah, oh, you're looking mighty sloppy. Ready? Now, when I say hit it, take two steps forward, two steps back. Do the parrot walk to the wall. Hit it! You're looking mighty sloppy. That's it. Now when I say hit it, three steps back, jump two, do the ankle walk, then the Mahatma Gandhi twist. Hit it. You're looking mighty sloppy. Now come out of the Birdland because it's too crowded and go some other place. Hit it. Now when I say hit it, heel and toe it across the asphalt. Ready? Hit it. Heel and toe. Crazy. Now when I say hit it, take three back, two to the left, and do the rabbit crawl to the center of the floor. Hit it! This is the Sloppy Madison. For that great, big, sloppy-looking line. <laughs> now when I say hit it, jump two up, two back, Alaman left, and promenade. Mighty sloppy there. Now when I say hit it, do the elephant walk down the side of the hall, come around in the Cleveland box of the Detroit drag. Hit it! Great big sloppy looking line. Mm. Now when I say hit it, go into the birdland, then spin out and form that big G. G for Gale. No G for garbage. Somebody forgot to take it out. Hit it! Crazy. Now when I say hit it, lift your left leg in the air. Now keep it up there, lift your right leg up. That's it, both of them. Kick them both up at the... That's it, crazy! Now when I say hit it, rock two up, two back. Erase that M. Erase it, erase it! I told you to wear those sneakers. Hit it! Now this is the finish. Take three up, three back, and rock into the parrot walk. Hit it! Do the sloppy Madison and hold it right there. Just in case you missed it, we'll tell you again. <laughs> Man, you know, I, th <laughs> I think that's pretty hip. I don't know. So there was a dance at the time that was around 1960. There was another dance at the time called the Slop. And um, maybe that has to do with the name of the Sloppy Madison. Maybe he's doing a double parody of the dance crazes of the time. I, it could be. I don't know. Come to think of it, Madison Time appeared in the movie Hairspray. The Dick Clark character, I think, had some kind of a high school hop dance show thing, and uh, they, they used that record on that. So now I want to play something my old pal Jim Santo recently turned me on to. 
Never heard of this guy before. Arthur Verosai? Verokai? I don't... I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right either way. Brazilian artist. Mainly a producer and musician. Um, only did one album of his own back in the day. In 1972 it was. And Jim played me this track and uh, floored me. The whole album is killer. Killer album. I think he's done some stuff since then. Um some newer material but decades later this album was uh, seen as a failure at the time and it just goes to show you because listen to this it's wonderful A noite quando volta Traz estrelas no embornal Cofres do sertão Que semeia no quintal Descendo no horizonte Ele tira seu chapéu Olhando o molho d'água Que cuspia para o céu Na folhagem do valor Pés de uma manhã Passeando pela mão O vento no seu rosto Sopra leve, tira o sol Como tira o pó De um velho paletó E pôr os pés na lama Sapato feito só De barro pra ser casco Quando então pisar na grama
pace on that one Arto Lindsay with Ridiculously Deep you all know about Arto Lindsay so I'm not going to bother with that DNA uh, Ambitious Lovers No Wave Samba you know Arto Lindsay anybody who wanted to work at the Strand bookstore had to look like Arto Lindsay it was a bylaw I don't know if that's still true um, I don't go to New York City anymore and I don't plan to ever return a um, little bit of a uh, smile before that uh, for Child is Father of the Man. I was thinking about it because of the last show with that little Miles Davis bit, Here Come to Honey Man. Thought I'd demonstrate what I was talking about there so uh, you can refer back to that if you don't know what I'm talking about now. You know, bone up on your Buckaroo Holiday Scholarship. Don't know why, but the Arto Lindsay puts me in mind of Mel Torme. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. Things connect for you in ways that you can't quite explain. I guess you could if you bothered thinking about it, but I I, I like to roll with it. 
so anyway, I was thinking about uh, Mel Torme during that and uh, reminded me of uh, this song, which uh, I used to have a band that included a piano player named Maria. Wonderful person, died at a, an obscenely young age. And after we would have band rehearsals or before the rest of the people would show up for band rehearsals at her house, that's where we normally learn songs, we'd go through things, we'd play... Um, got all kinds of songs uh in the gloaming old parlor ballads like that not as rehearsal just just for fun and she liked playing this one uh baubles bangles and beads i really can still hear her singing it those uh those little sessions of just running through songs like that together were uh, a fond fond memory the song is from a broadway show called kismet which is based on the music of Borodin. You might recognize the lovely melody of his Palavetsian dance number two, but that's not this song. Anyway, here's to you, Maria. Mel Torme and the Meltones, right here for you.
the new Kyoto Ensemble with tea leaves. I like that kind of stuff. Traditional Japanese melody played in, I guess, a sort of semi-pop style. Those melodies, those pentatonic melodies, they uh, remind me of cowboy music, you know? There must have been a connection there, I've always thought, with the uh, Asian influence on the American music that made its way out there. You know, it's one of those connection points. You know, one of those things where... uh, Various elements of music are wantonly appropriated by one group from another, and back and forth. You understand I use the word appropriation ironically, sarcastically, and with no small amount of loathing for all it represents as a concept. The concept's kind of grandiose, as a signifier of contemporary bullshit. And before that, I had a piece by... uh, Eldon Rathburn, who was a composer who worked for the Film Board of Canada, did a lot of soundtrack work for them and a lot of commercial stuff. But he was a very eclectic composer. I'm not sure if he's still alive. Eldon Rathburn, you can look him up. He did really serious avant-garde stuff, some comical stuff. You'll probably hear more of his stuff in the future because it's so versatile and uh, fun to listen to. That was called Hindemith Rides the Merchants Limited from a piece called Two Railoramas. The CD it's on is great. It's most called mostly railroad music. And most of it is. I guess he had a penchant for it. And it runs the gamut. There are calliope pieces, actually new pieces written for calliope. Um, some piano works and ensemble pieces like that. The other one, uh, this one referencing Hindemith, the other one references uh, Dvorak. So there's a lot of wit to it. Another great Canadian artist that we feature here on Buckaroo Holiday. As a tip of the hat to our friends up north. Hi, Ron. <laughs> hey, Hans. <laughs> and Otis, if you're listening. Pumpkin says hi to all of us. Walter and me, we've been courting for years. But he's never asked me to wed When leap year comes round I give three hearty cheers Hippy hooray, hippy hooray, hippy hooray Because I do the asking instead I don't want to die an old maid So I sing him this serenade Walter, Walter
Once again, credit is due to Jim Allen for hooking me up with that record. 
That is an array of passionate lovers. Pete Aiken, A-T-K-I-N. Pete Aiken, whose collaborator was Clive James, a very accomplished character. Wrote a lot of books, did a lot of TV, did a lot of things. Real all-around dude. And uh, that was one of many albums they wrote together. It addresses the deflation after Altamont of the love generation. And, you know, I guess in my mind it extends to all the other things that deflated the love generation, the uh, the descent into weathermen, uh, radicalism, the Manson family, all that stuff that burst that bubble. And it was that, that period of time when the 60s oozed into the 70s, there was a lot of this end-of-era commemoration, and a lot of people went in different directions with it. I guess the biggest uh, disillusion anthem was uh, American Pie. But there were others. David Bowie did some of them. Signet Committee was a particularly apocalyptic version of the idea. There was also a big retreat into a kind of a religiosity, literally in some cases with this Jesus rock movement. And also a lot of the mainstream artists started writing these kind of definitive anthems that were written to sound like hymns. See, Bridge Over Troubled Water and Let It Be and You Can't Always Get What You Want with the Children's Choir and all that. It was a very portentous period. And um, that song there, I think does a great job of... uh, Describing the kind of sodden, broken aftermath of Altamont, particularly. Before that was a song called Doobie Doobie, like something or other like that. Anyways, the, the 49 Americans, which is a British collective, I think with an American in it, or several, but not 49. Uh, They were, I think, I don't know a lot about them. I think they were, I kind of like that record, but they were one of these bands, I think, that had the, you know, manifestos with their records, kind of like, I don't know, Crass or Chumbawamba, you know, that whole, I don't know. You know, sometimes those bands produce really good records, just uh, I don't really get the ethos, so I, you know, I'm not that interested in learning about it, but it's a cool record, I think. It has a, it has a real kind of, unpolished loose casual thing about it that's kind of cool sort of like somebody dancing in a house dress not giving a shit how they look you know which which I'm, I'm all for that I don't have a house dress but if I had one some kitty record and uh, cartoon silliness before that and then we started with uh, high silliness Walter Walter lead me to the altar by the British entertainment legend Gracie Fields. I, you know, that record cracks me up. I, I actually, I'm, I find it touching, actually, uh, for some reason. But there are some things in it that really make me laugh out loud. I'll, I'll show you where I'm tattooed. Uh, <laughs> make all my nightmares come true. So thank you, Gracie. Have you heard the latest? So get this. Proceeding um, part of the show, everything up to here, was recorded before we went on a family trip this week. I'll talk about that later, but we went on a little family road trip for the first time in a long time. And um, I was preparing this show right before I left. I was, I was going to post it uh, the night before we hit the road. And I had worked out a long, elaborately edited segment that I was very proud of. 
and uh, apparently I hadn't saved in a long time. And I lost like 45 minutes of show, which represented hours actually of editing work. It was very upsetting because um, I, I was enjoying this. And I needed to enjoy it because uh, the show before this one was made under heavy duress and I don't think it came off very well. But in any case, uh, this was uh, lost. Yeah, I couldn't retrieve it. All that work was gone. I don't even remember the songs I played, so uh, it's all kind of moot. But anyway, I, left it, I let it go and we went on our little vacation and now we're back. And uh, I'm in a completely different mindset than I was before. So, let's forget what has been lost and light out for the territories. Let's start out the new part of the show with Aeolian Harp by Henry Cowell, who is a early supporter, biographer, friend of my idol Charles Ives. Like Ives, Cowell had his own unique ways of approaching music. He played the inside of the piano with his fingers, strumming chords and plucking things, before a lot of other people thought of such stuff. Here he is playing his own composition. Thank you. 
beyond all suffering. Turn cartwheels. Thank <laughs> you. 
That was a section of a suite by Igor Stravinsky of music from his work uh, Soldier's Tale. The piece involved narration and dance and whatnot, but he did prepare a suite of the chamber music component that he had composed for it. Before that was a Dutch band called The Nets, great band. That was Soap Bubble Box, kind of rare live version of it, which I prefer to the one that's on the album proper release it's a song about the artist that I consider to be the maybe the greatest artist of the 20th century Joseph Cornell certainly one of my favorites I saw his boxes when I was a little kid and uh, knocked me out still inspires me as do his films there was a piece back there called Echoes of Spring by Willie the Lion Smith the great stride jazz pianist and I love a lot of the stuff he did uh, particularly in that period there that song Echoes of Spring the little lick on it I used on an album I made Magic Beans as a uh, basis of recurring theme that went through the album for what that's worth which ain't much and uh, that started with Aeolian Harp by Henry Cowell we might have him to thank for knowing about Ives because there weren't too many people who knew or cared about his music there are still a lot of people who hate it I'm always reading digs about his music. It's, it's, it's kind of incredible to me the hostility his work inspires in some people. But Cowell was a staunch supporter, and as far as his own music, I like it. I don't think he was any great genius, but uh, what he did for music was maybe a lot more important than what he did with music. You know, I ought to mention that you also heard back there between Willie the Lion Smith and the Nits, briefly you heard the voice of Maxwell Bodenheim. Now what you hear behind me now are the sounds of the haunted mansion at Knobel's Amusement Park in Pennsylvania. Eliesburg. This uh, classic dark ride is the reason I first checked out Knobles. I heard that the Haunted Mansion was as close as it gets to the dark rides of my childhood at Coney Island. You know, the crash doors, the cheap stunts. 
all that, all those things leaping out at you. Just like the uh, magnificent Spookorama that I so fondly recall. In fact, there are two dark rides at Knoll's. There's the Haunted Mansion, and that's what they call a pretzel ride. It's named after the twisted track along which the cars ride, turning and jerking toward, you know, the leaping skeletons and shrieking witches that appear out of the blackness. These twisty tracks give the illusion that you're riding along greater distances than you actually are. You're just kind of winding through large rooms. Now, the other ride is called the Black Diamond Mine. This was uh, relocated from Wildwood in New Jersey, where it was called the Golden Nugget. And it's not a pretzel ride, it's more of an indoor roller coaster that passes through scenes of Pennsylvania's mining history. Starts out fairly realistically with guys hauling coal and everything. And then it becomes more surreal as it goes along. The three stories of the building. Both rides are killer, man. And so is everything at Knobles. There's no admission fee to the park. There's no parking fee. You just pull up on the grass and park your car and come on in. And there are three or four roller coasters, rides you never see anywhere else anymore, like, you know, the Whip and things like this, all sorts of carnival-type games. Live performers for free, you know, puppet shows for the kids. An actual fascination parlor, if you know what that is. Another throwback to the Coney Island of yore. A lot of the park feels like it's right out of the past century, but not because it's retro, because it's not a retro, it's intact. Things just accumulate over the years, and some of them look and feel like the 1930s, other ones are fairly fresh and modern looking. So it's eclectic and it's honest, it's not uh, contrived. Got a fantastic pool, a mini golf course, a carousel where you can actually grab the brass ring. Three little museums. There's a steam train ride that takes you under the wooden roller coaster into the woods of Pennsylvania for a mile and a half. At night, it's a miracle, man. It's absolute bliss. So anyway, we just got back from uh, this summer's trip there. We go every year. This year when we arrived, the old guy at the information booth greeted us at the gate. Welcome to Knobles, and I just told him how much I love going there because it's sort of like leaving New York and entering America. And that's what it is, man. You know, you look around, and all the mechanical calliopes are playing, and you smell the popcorn in the air. And you look at these people. Every race, every age, every type. You see gay couples. You see Amish families. You see groups of Hasidim. Women in headscarves and guys in NASCAR t-shirts. You name it. All smiling and relaxed. There's no branding or no tie-ins with shitty movies. The only corporate presence is the Knoebel Family Lumber Company right near the cottages where we stayed. Cottages, man. Oh, early 20th century cottages. You know, everything you need, nothing you don't. You know, for someone like me, you know, uh, for me life is effectively complete. I'm not somebody with any more dreams or hopes for the future, so all my pleasures are either retrospective or immediate, and this is both. Uh, for example, early one morning, while everybody else was still sleeping, I stepped out into the new day. We were on this hill overlooking a stream, surrounded by dense forest. Everyone I loved the most was dreaming inside, and I took in the fresh air just listening to the birds and the breezes, knowing that soon we'd be 
back in the park enjoying all of it. Man, it was ideal. The fact that such a morning is still possible is worth noting. And also, like all men, perhaps there'll be an occasion, maybe a summer night sometime, when he'll look up from what he's doing and listen to the distant music of a calliope and hear the voices and the laughter of the people and the places of his past. And perhaps across his mind there'll flit a little errant wish that a man might not have to become old, never outgrow the parks and the merry-go-rounds of his youth. And he'll smile then, too, because he'll know it is just an errant wish, some wisp of memory not too important, really, some laughing ghost that would cross a man's mind that are a part of the Twilight Zone. to an excerpt from Bernard Herrmann's beautiful score for the Twilight Zone episode, Walking Distance. Walking Distance is a kind of a companion piece to the episode of Stop at Willoughby. Both of them deal with this yearning for the past that I was talking about before with Knobles. And as much as that spiel was probably like, you know, corny and sappy, I mean, it's, it's pretty real for me, you know, that's where I'm at. And a lot of the stuff that I've talked about as I'm doing this show, I realize it's leading me somewhere. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about this uh, Pennsylvania vacation. I'm talking about House on the Rock. 
And it all brings to mind someone I miss very, very much, a friend of mine named Joe Williams. And I think I'll do a couple of tunes for Joe. I don't know if I'm going to do any kind of proper uh, tribute to him or try to do a proper tribute to him because I don't think I'd be able to get through it. Um, Joe is somebody I love very much and uh, we lost him a couple of years ago. You don't meet too many people like Joe Williams. In your lifetime, if you meet a couple, you're pretty lucky. out 
Birthday Carol. I regarded Joe Williams as a brother, I still do. First encountered Joe on a printed page, he reviewed the first Skells album for Cashbox, which was a music industry publication like Billboard. And it was the kind of review you pray for. Um, just got exactly what we were intending to do, appreciated it at all the right levels. Um, you know, just a kindred spirit, obviously, and um, to see some stranger get your work so fully and appreciate it so fully was uh, was a high. And um, we immediately contacted him and became pals with him. And then things took a turn in Joe's life as the Skells continued their downward, tra- downward trajectory from being unknown to being something... <laughs> even more obscure uh, Joe was uh, going through his own things in life we fell out of touch and uh, he contacted me years later um, it's too much to really tell um, but the reconnection was even more welcome and wonderful than the original surprise of his cash box review by this time he was working at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch as their film critic but we did reconnect and uh, made up for lost time as best we could he flew Shelley and me out to Wisconsin to check out House on the Rock and go to a drive-in took my family some years later down to Pennsylvania it started my whole love affair with Roadside Pennsylvania where we went to uh, reptile farms and Roadside America and a drive-in <laughs> he was there for me when I got married he was there for me when the terrorists brought the towers down along with my family we chatted online the last day of his life he encouraged me creatively and personally in ways that I couldn't convey and one of the fond memories I have is watching him with my son Miles who was pretty small at the time at the Delaware Water Gap listening to the this next song the night before we had seen a performance by the cow sills at the steel stacks in I guess Bethlehem Pennsylvania which which is an entertainment complex that they've made out of the former steel mills there's something mildly triumphant and profoundly tragic about the whole thing there in, in terms of America but the Cowsills were great and Susan Cowsill was especially kind to my daughter Lily so this has a whole lot of levels of meaning for me um, send it out to Joe 
with love and gratitude. And I think that'll end this episode of Buckaroo Holiday. Good enough point to call it a day. I'm hoping that the next episode will appear sooner than this one has. I'm just trying to get the rhythm back. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Here's to you, Joe.
memorized you, we recognized you, we I memorized you and I eulogized you. I loved you more than you'll ever know. Man, I hated to see you go.